Zen at the Sharp End. Welcome to the podcast about how to turn difficult people and relationships into your best teachers. I'm Mark Westmacket, a Zen Buddhist teacher, mindfulness teacher, and ex-professional astronomer. This is a podcast to go along with my latest book, Zen and the Art of Dealing with Difficult People, which is out now and available to order in all the usual places. In each episode, we'll be exploring different varieties of people, relationships and situations that we find irritating, difficult or painful. Together with a number of Zen friends, I'll be discussing how the practices of Buddhism and mindfulness can help us see our difficult people as troublesome Buddhas, our greatest teachers. This podcast is sponsored by Zen Minded an online lifestyle store offering you the very best in Japanese craft, incense, and other Zen-inspired home goods. Check it out at www.zenminded.uk. Oh, well, hi, Mel. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I wonder if perhaps you could start off by talking us through a little bit your background in Zen and um you know how you came across zen in the first place so i kind of um i guess i stumbled into zen so um probably about i think it was maybe about 2011 um i went in and had this thing called um well it was kind of like brain training so they they stuck electrodes to your head and then um, kind of ran you through a sequence of protocols and they discovered that um, I pretty much wasn't paying attention any, any <laughs> of the time. Um, so I, I had a pretty um, uh, traumatised brain picture by the look of it. So he kind of, you know, was running me through some protocols and then he said, do you want to do some alpha theta training? And I was like, yeah, whatever. So Basically, he told me to close my eyes and then I heard my brain. So I heard Mm. the alpha waves and I heard the theta waves. And um, I kind of closed my eyes and I started seeing all these visions. Nothing was, you know, I thought I'd fallen asleep and I was dreaming. So, you know, I kind of saw myself climbing out of of the ground and, and, um, going to beaches and meeting people that you know from my past that kind of thing and Mm. and when I opened my eyes um everything was different so I was in the same place but you know the world was brighter smells were more vivid Mm. tastes were more vivid um and afterwards like I had a lot of energy and I didn't really understand what had happened but um he said that from looking at my brain pattern, I wasn't sleeping. I was meditating. So huh. I'd never meditated before. And um, after that. And was thought, there any guidance? Did he give you any guidance or just? <laughs> no, there was ah. none. He basically just said, close your eyes and we'll see what happens. So oh, right. um, it was quite, quite interesting. But I thought, how can I keep this? Like, what is this actually? And he said, well, you might want to look at something called mindfulness. So um I kind of researched mindfulness and joined a master's program as you do when you've never <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and then someone else said, well, perhaps you'd like to, um, perhaps you'd like to, to join the Zenways program as well. So I started my masters on one weekend and I did my Zenways um, mindfulness teacher training the following weekend. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and from there, I kind of, you know, when I met Dizan, he kind of seemed like the real deal. He seemed very genuine and interesting. And, and as I started to do my mindfulness practice, I noticed that my kind of, I guess the way that I saw the world and the way that I interacted with other people, I kind of was leaning towards Buddhist practice, I suppose. And, mm. um, and I asked Daizen probably about a year later, you know, could I maybe become a Buddhist? And then, yeah, from then on. Mm. Yeah. And, and when was that then? So that was probably about 2012. That yeah, was, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so a good 10 years then, yeah. Yeah, 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 roughly, yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And do you remember in all of that, do you remember the first time when you came across this phrase, troublesome Buddhas? Um, I think the first time I heard troublesome Buddhas was when I heard you say it. I don't think I'd ever heard that, but, but what I'd, what I'd learned kind of around the time that I was doing the brain training was that, um, people come into our lives to teach us lessons about ourselves. Um, mm. And then what I, what I kind of learned, well, what I've realised through all of it, that if there is one person that's a troublesome Buddha, it's me. <laughs> right, right. Like I'm, I'm the common denominator and it's, it seems to be that, you know, I don't think anyone comes into into my existence to cause problems for me, but it's my reaction to them that, mm. and it's my reaction to the situation that causes the problem for me. So, yeah, mm. that's mm. that's kind of my my take on the whole thing. But it takes me a while to get it. So sometimes, you know, for years I held on to grudges with people because I thought that they were the problem, and then, you know, when I realised that actually you know, they were maybe doing it because of love or because of concern or maybe they just weren't skillful or maybe I wasn't skillful. You know, there were lots of um, lots of factors involved and it doesn't take me as long to get the lesson now. Mm. So, mm. Yeah, it'll be mm. so, and do you remember, like, you said when you were doing your brain training, that was kind of right at the beginning then, you got a sense of the fact that people were there teaching you things about the way you were. Yeah, okay. So that's pretty kind of like uh, getting that side of things pretty quickly then. Yeah, yeah. It took me a while. So that was because I suppose when you first realise that maybe you're the problem, it there's there's a moment where you want to kind of turn away from that so yeah. that's what I did it was like oh my god I'm gonna have to face my part in this situation and then then there's like a, a turning away I don't want to because it's not me it's them and then it was kind of a gradual kind of turning back around and okay I can I can do this so it took a little while like the first it took sort of months and I think that um 
the first session that I went to was extremely hard because um, I that was when I first started um, seeing that I was part of the problem. It was just like, oh, no, like this is awful, you know, in meditation and then you just kind of seeing these images of things that you've done or or when you've reacted or whatever. And it, it so was, how, and how were those images, they were just spontaneously arising or was there some kind of, I mean, you say training. So what, what was the training? Um, well, so the, the brain training was just the way it worked. You watched movies and what would happen is um, the EEG would pick up, it was a movie, say, The Notebook. So that's a devastatingly sad movie. So you're kind of watching The Notebook and when um, something happens in the movie, you get an emotion and a thought and you're trained to follow that thought. So to notice the emotions, so you're getting the mindfulness, you know, I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling angry, lonely, whatever. And then you're following the thought. So I started, I felt sad, which made me think of this and that and that. Huh. So it's kind of like mindfulness while being awake, I suppose, and watching a movie. It was very strange. Mm. Um but, just kind of increasing your awareness, yeah, your presence yeah. with things that are going on internally. Okay. Mm. Yeah, specifically your emotions. And because as I said, you know, my brain, when I started, I wasn't present with any of that. Mm. I was kind of, you know, the kind of person that would try and read a magazine while driving, like really wasn't present right. with any of it. Right. Um, so, mm. yeah, like I think... And when I when I went to session, it was you know silence and and we're just so the doing, Zen retreat. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we're doing our our Zen med- meditation, so practice of presence mostly. Um, so that's all I was doing, and then images were coming up, or situations, or thoughts, and then it was just like, oh no! So it was like the penny was dropping ah. constantly, and that was. Yeah, that was hard. <laughs> mm, 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 yeah. Mm. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's, it was almost like, I guess, sounds sounds a bit like things were sort of unraveling or unwinding within your, like, openness, within the presence that you offered. Things were yeah. just arising and you, you were able to see things more clearly as time went on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, I mean, sometimes it was it was hard. So, you know, you would get, you'd see something and it was quite shocking, but that was when you can, you know, you go and speak to Dizan and just, you know, and he'd say, well, you know, the first time you see it, it's shocking. And then the next time you see it, it's not so bad. And it's true. It's like, well, okay. Yeah. So you've seen it. Mm. What can you do now? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So what were the sort of main troublesome issues that have come up for you then over the years? Um, yes, yeah, so situations, yeah. Usually, relationships with family have always been tricky, and I suppose they've been more tricky because I've been away from my family for 20, 20 years this year. Right. So, families in Australia, they're living their life, they're growing and evolving, and I'm over here completely separate, growing and evolving. And so, each time I go home, we're kind of meeting each other for the first time again and that's difficult so um when I went home I think it was about seven years ago um 
I'd been doing a lot of compassion practice for my masters and um, you know, so you've got all these feelings of love and you're in love with everyone in the world and you've got this kind of you you're living in this compassionate bubble and you've got these feelings of love towards everyone, your family. So of course I was very excited to be going home and meeting them and, mm. and spending time with them. And in my mind, we had such a wonderful relationship and, you know, everything was perfect. And then when I got home, everything was what it had been years ago mm. and I changed, but they hadn't. And so it was very tricky, like, oh, do you know, why are, they, why are they treating me like this? Like, what have I done? What's going on? They must hate me, blah, blah, blah. And, and just going through the whole drama. And it took about a week of, of, of real angst, like not understanding like, why my family were acting the way they were. When, you know, in actual fact, they, they were just acting the way they always had. But because I hadn't been there, I'd forgotten and I'd actually, it, I didn't realise until I got to the airport and I was going home and I think a, an aeroplane had crashed that morning um, and it was, um, I think it was like one of the um, Malaysian airline ones and I was flying Malaysian yeah. airlines. Uh, oh, gosh. I convinced myself I was, I was going to die in this aeroplane and there was a lot of turbulence and I was like, God, this is, you know, I am, I'm just going to die and, and they all hate me. But then I realised, like I was talking to my mum and she said something that she usually says, you know, one of her, her offhand comments, probably mm. commenting about my weight or something like mm, that. Mm. And I kind of went, oh, and I, I thought, God. But then I went, well, actually, she doesn't know any better. She's always done that. That's her and that's you know, she's always done that. And then I kind of realised, well, my dad's always done that because it was my dad that I was having the difficult relationship with. And then I was, and then the kind of the penny dropped and I just went, well, I've actually projected my stuff. So even like a projection doesn't have to be bad all the time, even the good projection. So my projection of a perfect relationship with my dad, I projected that onto him the whole week. Right. And when, when the reality wasn't meeting my projection of what it should have been, that was what was causing the suffering. And as soon as I realised that actually I'd, I'd projected that onto him, he had no part in it. He was just being him, mm. you know. So, mm. so I'd kind of, <laughs> you know, that, that was me and I just thought, yeah, well, that's a nice lesson. And it was a good thing, you know, before I got onto the plane and, and potentially died, that I'd kind of come to peace with that. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a really sort of turbulent visit home. Uh, yeah. Maybe the aeroplane just re reflecting some of that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, it was, um, but it was good to, to kind of realise that and, you know, it's just, but it's, it's something that I'm, I'm recognizing a lot, you know, when, when I'm meeting other people and, you know, I'm, I, I'm a nurse, so I'm constantly meeting people in their worst times. Mm. They can't help it. They're doing their very best. And, you know, especially patients, it's not their responsibility to make me feel good about the react, like our interaction. Um, you just kind of have to meet them where they are and, and try your very best not to project your stuff onto them. Yeah. You know? 
yeah not being clean in your interactions like and i think one thing that's helped with that has been you know when we do our dyad work you know oh uh, yeah and mm. it's just understanding okay well you know i'm hearing that how am i feeling about that and then just owning your stuff and knowing Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of this instance in um, when Joe, my wife and I, when we first got together and um, I remember she'd been out for a weekend with some friends and, and she, when she got back, we were talking about what she got up to and she described something in, in, in the weekend that was outside of what I had, you know, projected her to be the kind of person, the kind of things in, that I thought she liked and I thought she didn't like you know she she said she described something which was outside of that and it's so easy isn't it so easy to I don't know what you want like thingify a relationship to basically project and fix it into a into an expectation or a project as you say projection or something like that yeah yeah and it's constant I think you know I I feel very sorry for my husband because I we're constantly learning from each other and it's you know, it's something that when, like, it's a fantastic opportunity to grow as an individual, but also as a couple. But you are constantly kind of putting your stuff on these other people and and you're kind of, you've got to be responsible for, you know, for what you're doing there because mm. it, you can potentially damage someone or hurt someone. Right, quite right, 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 right. Yeah. And, and uh, have you found some over the years, you know, with, with your husband sort of particular yeah. issues or things that have come up? Yeah, I, th- I think so. And but he's like, I'm very, very fortunate because he's not a reactionary person. Like he doesn't react um, like I would. Mm. And because so, mm. I can be quite hot headed um, and he's I'm just very lucky that he's incredibly kind. And he just kind of sits back, probably because he's he's just he he doesn't want to make a wrong move, and he just kind of sits back and then waits for me to realize what I've done, and then I'm like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, <laughs> like I've just I've just projected that onto you. Uh-huh. I'm really sorry. And he's like, right, okay. <laughs> <And> he's <laughs> sort of like a, a scared a scared animal, just waiting for me to realize what I've done, and then. But also, what a wonderful way to respond to give the space. For you yeah. to sort of self-reflect and and you know and uh, and make a, a, a correction or or whatever repair to the situation. Yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate that he 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 allows me to do that. Um, but it's also lucky. I think it's lucky that I get it. And as I said, I think mm. I'm getting it quicker than I used to. Mm. That's for sure. Because I probably, you know, years ago in a previous relationship, I could have held a grudge for for months and and never admitted that I was wrong it just wasn't something that I did and now it's it's like well actually no I can put my hand up and say I've made a mistake here and I'm sorry Mm. so um, what I'd be interested to think to to hear what you think about the process like let's say in this you know your husband comes home you say some things you know, he sits back and he's waiting for you to reflect. What, what is that process that happens there? And and how does it, how do you find it becoming quicker and quicker? You know, what's the, what's the changes? Yeah. Well, I need space. So I have to go to another room or something and then I can 
then I have to think like what am I feeling here why am I feeling this oh so so kind of like taking yourself out of the situation yeah okay yeah I have to because I because if if I'm there I'm too I'm too likely to react I think mm. and I can still I still don't want to admit that I've made a mistake so I have to actually go even if it's to the kitchen or something and do something different and then it's like suddenly the penny drops it's like oh god oh, yeah me I've done this like <laughs> I've just projected that onto you and I'm so sorry, like that was me. Mm. And quite often it's that, um, so I've got high expectations of myself and he's just living his, his individual life and, and then he might not do something the way that I would do it. So I get annoyed that he hasn't done what I would do, but actually that's just me projecting that onto him. It's just like, mm. and then I'm, I'm like, I'm really sorry, that's my stuff it's not yours at all so mm, mm. so would you be willing just to kind of look, look at this so you you take yourself into another room yeah and, and then then what what's your what's your so what happens at that point then so I, I first of all try and identify what I'm feeling am I hurt and usually there's like an element of shame uh-huh. because I've reacted so I kind of identify what I'm feeling and then I just kind of sit with that feeling and then wait for, you know, why did I, re- and then I might ask, why did I react like that? Like what is actually going on here? Mm. And then it usually comes to, well, I wouldn't have done it like that. And mm. then immediately I go, right, well, actually mm. that's my stuff, not his, because, mm. you know, he did what he did and that's nothing, it's not mine to mm. own, yeah, you know? Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Yeah. Mm, so interesting isn't it yeah just kind of like being present with with um your thoughts and feelings particularly feelings you say like just being really present and sort of examining what's arising yeah mm. yeah and and do you feel like you, you said you you get to sense that earlier and earlier or quicker and quicker as time has gone on so yeah. in ter- like you think it's just becoming practiced at that yeah I think so well it's it's actually I think the most important thing is that I'm not afraid to admit that I've made a mistake Uh or that I'm the problem. Mm. You know, in fact, actually, it's almost like I expect it now. I'm like, (laughs) I'll just, you know, it's me. Of course it's me. I've I've done it again. Yeah. (laughs) I put my hand Mm. up. Mm -hmm. So, So I think that's the most important thing is not being afraid to admit that I'm not perfect. You know, um, yeah, mm. I think that's, and but actually, my husband's quite gracious in that he lets me kind of be that. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's no expectation from him that I'm perfect either. Like he, yeah, I think he knows. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. And so I wonder if. So there are definitely times, I know for myself, definitely times where, you know, I am very much part of this troublesome situation. I have a mm-hmm. strong role to play. I've contributed towards this. But I want, but there are definitely times I can think of where it really isn't me. Yeah. And, you know, other people are being, you know, okay, so they are pressing some buttons in you, but... Um, do, do you have, I mean, do, do you get a sense of the difference there or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I see it all the time, um, especially working where I'm working. Like I work in intensive care and you've got different personalities. So 
um, mm. surgeons or, um, you know, that can be so incredibly rude mm. or kind to other surgeons or to other staff. And, and you know, that as an observer is unacceptable. Mm. Um, but sometimes, like, the only thing in that situation, because I can't challenge a surgeon, um, I could, but I'd probably get into trouble for it, um, you know, then you have to use compassion. Like, you know, that person is obviously suffering for some reason that they can't, you know, react in a different way and they they choose to berate someone and you can only be compassionate in that situation. And if you can't be compassionate to them, then I'm super compassionate to the person that they are talking to because uh, uh. they're needing that just in that moment. So, yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes patients, like I had a patient who um, he was a drug user and he was very sick. So, um, but, you know, I, I've been in a relationship with someone who's been on drugs before, so a lot of my buttons were being pushed and I really didn't want to look after this guy. And he was just being, he was just being awful. He was like shouting at us and he was um, calling us names but then apologizing. But I actually, you know, I had to understand that in that situation, he was pushing my buttons because he reminded me of someone that I once knew. Mm. But I had to rise above that and just understand that he was absolutely terrified. And then he also had the stigma of, of, of being a drug user and he was trying to fight, you know, fight people um, being prejudiced against him because of that. And then it was, you know, I just had to explain to him, just forget about that. That's not why you're here. You're here because your heart's sick. So let's deal with that, you know. Just forget about the drug thing for a moment. We'll just deal with this. And, mm. um, you know, it was, it, was, it was difficult, but it was just having to understand that, you know, I was being triggered, but I had to be compassionate, you know, had to be compassionate and kind. Um, so I think, you know, that's the only that's the only way that I think works. And if you can't be compassionate and kind to the person that's that's displaying those behaviours, then you have to be kind and compassionate to yourself, you mm. know, mm. for for feeling like you want to hit them in the head or something, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that's yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds like it take it's it's amazing. It sounds amazing to be able to come into that space where you're able to um see past some of the superficial behaviors see yeah. beneath some of that stuff and um and and almost like respond to the person that's the kind of deeper underneath and then bring compassion to that i mean it's what, what an amazing opportunity to be able to do that yeah. mm. well it hasn't always been like that so I'm, I'm very grateful that i'm at that stage now where where it is you know so um is mm. it used to be quite quite difficult to to deal with lots of different patients because you took it all very personally but none right. of it's personal that's the thing because everyone's fighting their own battle mm. So, mm. Yeah. Mm. now i wonder if someone wanted to be more compassionate mm. what, what would be your advice how do i be more compassionate um well, I suppose I think I learned a great deal um, from doing compassion practices specifically. 
because it didn't come naturally to me to be a compassionate person. Like I was kind, mm. but the compassion was different. So, um, you know, because I, I suppose my parents, I knew that they loved me, they cared for me, but they weren't the kind of family, we weren't the kind of family that would embrace each other and, and display love and affection. So mm. it was kind of difficult to to do the compassion practices. But um but I think that kind of doing the meta practice is very good. And um, and I, I did a retreat with Zenways a couple of years ago. Um, I think it was maybe three or four. No, it was two <laughs> before I got married. And it was actually probably a good time to, to do that retreat, actually, the compassion retreat. And, you know, there were some brilliant practices um, from the Zen school that I'd never actually heard about because I've always kind of done the Tibetan um, meditation practices, but the the Zen ones were really beautiful. Mm. Um, so I think that, you know, it's possible to do that because it's it's like a muscle. It's like with mm. meditation, you know, mindfulness in meditation, we kind of have to build that muscle of mindfulness. And I think that you have to kind of build that, the muscle of compassion as well, mm. because especially in this day and age with um, with social media, it's very easy to be judgy and to kind of, you know, you want to kind of people are constantly putting other people on show and showing their worst traits, but we're not getting the whole picture. And maybe we need to just be coming at those people with love, like, you know, because that's mm. what they need. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So like a muscle training, our, our yeah. practice of compassion in, in in sort of maybe in times when there's not it's not so turbulent yeah. uh, and then we can bring it to bear in times that are a bit more emotionally difficult absolutely and see that's a good point actually mark because um when when you are going through particularly hard times you shouldn't be doing the compassion practices anyway because sometimes people who are perhaps perfectionists or a little bit critical of themselves can't find that compassion if they're going through a hard time, they just right. can't. And it's too much of an ask. So they should just go back to their, you know, probably I would probably even say the focuses should be on the breath, you yeah. know, something solid. So the mind doesn't get a chance to wander and criticize. But yeah, when when I think, you know, when things are quiet, the compassion practices are great. Mm. They really mm. are. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, wonderful. Oh, such 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 a variety of different examples and, and stories and things. I really thank you so much for being willing to bring these and and be so honest and and talk about them with us. You're welcome. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and a star rating on whatever platform you use, and do recommend it to others because we all have difficult people in our lives and each of them offers us a real opportunity for learning and growth. For more information about my book and what else I offer, head over to my website, markwestmaquette.co.uk. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.